The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Last week it was announced that Freddy Scapatici, the man believed to be a double agent for the British security forces while a serving member of the IRA, had died at the age of 77. Now, after his death, much has been said about the man who was known as Steak Knife, but who was he really? What do we know about his life? And will his estate yield anything to those families who intend to sue for their loss at his hands? Joining me now is columnist with the Belfast Telegraph and commentator specialising in politics and security, Alison Morris. Alison, good morning. Good morning. Now, the name Scapatici seems odd, but it was fairly typical of Italian families who came to Ireland, uh, you know, in the ice cream parlour business or whatever. Uh, That was his family. Yeah, he came from uh, around that time when a lot of um, Italian families emigrated to a part of Belfast, which is in fact called Little Italy for a while. There were so many people of Italian descent living there. His father was um, an immigrant from Italy. I believe he was in Sicily. And um, Freddie Scapatici was born in the market area of Belfast. It would have been a very sort of bustling industrial type place to live at that time. He was a very talented football player, a very talented soccer player. At one stage he was signed, I think, from, for Nottingham Forest and went away there but didn't last very long. He was very homesick and came back again. And after that was interned um, during um, internment in the early 1970s. We believe that he wasn't an IRA member when he was interned, but by the time he came out of prison, he most certainly was. I think he was released around 1974, mm. and by that time, he was a member of the IRA. No, he was a member of the IRA, and he went on to become head of their so-called nutting squad, nutting referring to shooting people in the head, having tortured them. Um, so he was uh, seen as a, a trusted person to interrogate suspects and so on. When is he believed to have signed up with the security forces and become a double agent? Yeah, so sometime around then, the, the mid-1970s, there's two sort of different versions of this. Um, I think that it was a, there was a BBC panorama which claimed that he was a, also a, he was a builder, he was a bricklayer, and he owned quite a sort of successful brick, bricklaying business, or building business, and he'd got into some sort of tax fraud situation, and at that stage he agreed to work as informer. I have been told that he's what they call a walk-in, that he had actually offered his services to at first um, RUC special branch and then when they realised how quickly he was moving through the ranks of the IRA he was then handed over to the force research group through who then t- signed him into the military intelligence and that's when he would have been a member of that IRA's what they call the internal security unit but which became known as you said as the Nutton Squad they were the people who it was their job to root out informers within the organisation so say weapons were discovered by the the police or the British Army, they had to work out had someone give that information over if some kind of IRA operation went wrong, it was their job to try and go back and look and see what went wrong to see if there was an informer in the ranks of that and that was his job and ironically the entire time he was doing that, he was also an informer and in fact at at one stage um, after he was outed, a senior member of the British Army called him their golden egg, he was said to be the jewel in the crown of British intelligence um, he became one of the most high-profile double agents within the, the ranks of the IRA. Now, the, the other reason that is suggested that he was got by the British security forces was uh, some interest he had in extreme pornography and therefore was susceptible to being blackmailed by them. Do you place any credence in that story? Well, he was actually convicted of that. So the Operation um, Canova investigation, which is being headed by John Boucher, it was ordered by the former um 
Director of Public Prosecutions, Byron McGorry, asked the police to reinvestigate this and the, the Chief Constable at the time said the police couldn't basically investigate themselves, so he appointed an outside force. And Canova, during their investigations, they obviously removed devices from Skip Tissue, who remains living in witness who remained living in witness protection until his death. And those devices yielded obviously the convictions that he was convicted of having extreme pornography and that included bestiality. So there was clearly a deviance there as well, whether that had had links to the fact that he was then recruited as informer. We do know from previous cases where informers have been um outed that they're usually recruited because they're caught in some kind of compromising position or they've committed a crime and they're trying to get out of that and, and trying to escape prison in some way. There are so many aspects uh, to his outing, number one, and uh, uh, then what he may have known and uh, not revealed and wh- what might have come out, uh, but he's now dead. Uh, the, the, the question of his outing, first of all, I mean, after he'd been outed, he was back in Belfast and came to no harm. Yeah, this, this I suppose, is the part that I struggle um, to get my head around. I mean, there's a lot of aspects of this. I mean, bear in mind that um, Canova was looking at one stage over 30 murders. It's been estimated that Freddie Skeptici pulled the trigger himself on 18 of those um, killings. And remember, these were all members of his own community. These were mainly low-level IRA members who um, had been working as police informers, some of them at an incredibly low level. You know, what would have been called in, in those days sort of £10 touts, people who are passing over minimum information for a couple of pounds, and yet he was this high-ranking informer who was actually doling out this um, summary justice. You know, he was executing these people despite the fact he was a, an agent and his handlers were well aware of his activities. But in 2003, um, a journalist from the... Sunday people knocked his door in West Belfast on a Saturday night to tell him the following day the paper would be revealing that he was the informer known as Steak Knife. This was information that had been handed over by Ian Hirsch, the, 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 um, a member of military intelligence who went by the name of Martin Ingram for a while and he had passed over this information. Skimitishi disappeared for a couple of days. We believe that he was taken by helicopter, by military helicopter to a base in, in England. Um, the BBC Panorama reported, I think about 2004, that they held a party for him because of the success that they seen, his success as a, a double agent. And then he returned and he, he was a man who'd managed to work as a double agent in the IRA for over 20 years um, at this stage. So he returned, obviously, in the knowledge that he was going to be safe, how he knew he was going to be safe, I don't know. But he returned home. And this is, you know, the reason it fascinates me is I was a, a journalist working for a local paper at the time and he gave an interview to that local paper um, during which he tried to make himself out to be some sort of victim. And um, that interview, which is still available if you go hunting for it, is actually, you know, fairly embarrassing sort of portrayal of the fact that he had sort of hoodwinked every the, the people around him. But... What we do know is that he hadn't hoodwinked the IRA. They knew that he had been an informer since the early 90s. There had been suspicions around him, at least. Um, and yet they were sort of complicit and, and Sinn Féin members had even said, you know, well, he's innocent until proven guilty. You know, there's no evidence. This this media dirty tricks against him. But, you know, within probably six months, he was gone from West Belfast mm-hmm. and he was never seen again. Now, he went into witness protection. The suspicion is, of course, that he was in some way in that period protected by senior members of the IRA who themselves were touts. 
He was protected by senior members there and also then still by his military handlers. But the two things together, then you wonder who is watching who and who is protecting who. It all became very murky after that because he had been involved in 1990 in the arrest of Danny Morrison, who was then Director of Publicity for Sinn Féin. Um, Danny Morrison arrived at a house in West Belfast. He says he was there to organise a press conference with Sandy Lynch, who was also an informer who'd been abducted and tortured and interrogated by Scapatishi and during that claimed that his handlers had asked him to set up two senior IRA member for assass- members for assassination. Um, Sinn Féin, Danny Morrison says they were going to use this in a press conference for sort of propaganda purposes, but as soon as he arrived at the house, the police swooped and arrested Danny Morrison. He was jailed. That conviction was later quashed because it was accepted that he had been entrapped by informers. But around that time, we're told that there were suspicions and that he was sort of stood, stood aside um, and that he was never then a member of that sort of internal security unit again, um, and he never returned to IRA activity. That would sort of tally with what he t- he said after he was um, after he was outed when he gave a handful of press conferences. He spoke to two other journalists. He spoke to Anne Cadwalder and and Brian Rowan, and he had said that he hadn't been at that stage a member there. You know, a member of the Republican movement, as he called it, for around thirteen years. That would tally that nineteen ninety date. But if they knew then, why then in 2003 was there such an effort to try and cover it up? And we can look at it in all sorts of different ways. The peace process was in its infancy. If you know, if the IRA had breached that by killing Scapatishi, it would have collapsed the entire peace process. Was he aware? And did he strongly enough believe that? But that wasn't the fate that met Dennis Donaldson when he was out as an informer. He was later murdered in a cottage in Donegal, despite the peace process. So who told Scapatishi that he would be okay and why were they at such a, a high-level position that he believed it? And so the suspicion is that another informer high up had said, no, there'll be no action taken against him. And he did live till relative old age, I think he was 77, when he died. But his death, much like his life, was completely shrouded in secrecy. We don't know exactly when he died, where he died, how he died. And in fact, by the time um, that I was able to, to confirm that he had died, died and reported, he'd already been buried, a funeral had already taken place. Yeah. Well, many secrets uh, die with him and much relief in all sorts of quarters, I suspect, north of the border as to his passing and across the Irish Sea. But Alison, thank you very much for filling us in on the the life and death of Freddie Scapatici. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.